0: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn.
1: Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, and today is a very, very, very different day because I don't have a co-host. And the reason is is because this is an extra special episode. It is officially our 100th episode. I absolutely can't believe it. Um, to be honest with you guys, I am not sure I thought when we started this that we would have 100 episodes. Uh, this all started with just a, a little simple idea of trying to bridge the gap between what I felt like people, um, the questions people were asking and the answers I, were, I was getting from other people that were helping me to heal felt like there were so many questions from all over the country of how is this guy still standing after the tragedy that he went through. And yet God was intersecting me with so many different people who had incredible stories of trial, tragedy, and transition. And I felt like I was the bridge builder just going, Hey, come here, listen to these conversations, listen to these people, listen to these stories. And, um, and man, you, you guys have just shown out big time on, not just listening to this and engaging with us and being a part of our community, but also sharing it with other people. And so uh, it just really, it overwhelms me to think about what this podcast has done and um, in these last 100 episodes and the healing that has been sparked in people's lives because of this. And uh, it really excites me to think about in the next 100 episodes, what God's gonna do through all of this. And so I just wanna thank you. I wanna thank you so much for being um, one of our listeners and for sharing this and for engaging with us and for really leaning into the hard things um, so that you can find healing in the middle of the adversity that you're facing, the trial that you're going through. Today, I've got an awesome interview, and I'm biased because um, this is probably one of my favorite interviews. No, hands down my favorite interview of all time, because it happens to be with my favorite interviewee, my beautiful wife, Christy, um, for so long, we have had, uh, so many people reach out and say, Hey, I want to hear Christy's story. I want to hear Christy's story. I want to hear Christy's story. And honestly, we've wrestled with it uh, because there's layers and layers and layers with her story. And we wrestle with what's the best way to share her story. And finally just landed on, let's just have a conversation and let's just talk about your story. And let's talk about all the different things that God has been teaching you. And I know that this story is going to provide so much healing for so many people because I have wept in different sessions and different drives, where Christy has shared her story with me, um, I've been overwhelmed with emotion to think about what God has brought her through, and so I know that this is going to provide so much hope for those of you guys who are going through the thick of so many different things. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna share her story in just about its entirety on this on this particular episode to commemorate our 100th episode, and uh, so thank you guys for those of you guys who were continually badgering about hearing her story because (laughs) it finally got me to kind of bring my case forward on saying, you got to share your story. You got to share your story. And uh, my beautiful wife, she, um, she's so humble in the sense that she doesn't want to make this about her. And, um, and, and so now she's, she's okay. You know what, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to share this story if you're asking me to do this. And so I think it's going to really provide a lot of hope for you. So, Without further ado, let's um, let's listen on on my conversation with my gorgeous bride, Christy Blackburn. Chris, babe, so good to have you.
0: You know, I would say it's good to be on, but I feel like I came into this podcast kicking and screaming, literally. Oh, no, sweetheart. No, I am very I honored, first of all, that you guys would even consider my story, mm. God's story in my life to even be the 100th episode. So I had to pick and choose uh, what I was going to do today. Basically, as a mom, you have to figure out what you can, what That's goes true. and what stays for that day. And so my personal hygiene went away that day and I thought I could we roll in. We were actually going
1: to video this, but <laughs> <laughs> when well, I told you that, the look on your face, you were like, uh, no. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> the podcast
0: team is here. I rolled up in my slippers, no makeup and in my pajamas still. And it's honestly like five o'clock and they said, well, I'm going to take pictures. Okay. Well, I guess I need to brush my teeth and brush my hair. Like that'd be a that's yeah,
1: overrated. <laughs> it's overrated. Just because I don't practice personal hygiene. <laughs> oh man. Well, babe, I'm I'm super excited about this. We've been talking about this and planning for this and thinking through this for quite a long time. I mean, it's been well over a year that I feel like, you know, God's begun to stir in you to share the story. And we've just been asking him, when is the right time? When is the right time? And so we've spent several times where we've just sat down and we're going, okay, what? What exactly, what are, what is all the intricacies of this story and the things that God has taught you? And so, um, I'm excited for our listeners to hear it and, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to delay anymore because there's a lot to this yep. and I would really want to be able to get into the weeds of some of this stuff and even pause in some of these spaces and have some conversation with you. But, um, why don't you kind of take us from the top and, uh, just begin telling us, uh, your story.
0: Yeah, I think the hardest thing about the stories, it's it's always been hard for me to share. I think a huge reason is because of shame, um, just embarrassed of where I came from. Um, I think over time, I felt like the Lord just kept on sh- showing me like how powerful it is mm. to actually uh, don't keep things in the dark. And yeah. when you bring them to light, they don't have power over you. Um, I love the verse. I feel like he's been bringing that to light, uh, for me right now in the season of Revelation twelve eleven, mm. that we will <laughs> overcome by the blood of the lamb so and good. the word of our testimony. Of our testimony. Wow. And I am so grateful for everyone that has been on this podcast and shared their stories. I literally, every time I will email them and I'm just an over the top thanking them for Mm. even having the courage to speak out about what's gone on in their life. But what it's been feeling like I've been a hypocrite in a way because (laughs) I've been telling everybody how important sharing stories is, but I kind of refuse to share mine. And um, what's even crazier is I've, I've literally hid this story from even my best friends my whole life. Mm. Like the only person that even knows it in its entirety is you, Davey.
1: Yeah. I think that's really important to note because, you know, right now the listeners are getting a, a, a window into your life that that you're right, some of the closest people to you don't know some mm-hmm. of these aspects. And so this is a this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. We don't take it lightly. I mean it's heavy for for you and I to kind of enter into this space. And so I want you guys to know this is a gift, you know, um I, I don't know if we would often say this, but I want you to feel as the listener, like this is a major gift. Um, that Christie's, uh, putting this out there to you and really anybody who shares their story, it's a huge yeah. gift. It's a lot, it's a space where you're entering into with vulnerability. Yep. Um, but I believe that this is going to really help and heal a lot of people.
0: And that is my heart. My heart is if I, if I share the story, maybe there's someone out there that can mm. use it kind of as their survival guide, yeah. like giving them hope that they can get out of the trenches what, with whatever season they're in right now.
1: So good. Yeah. So good. So Well,
0: just to start out, um, I think the best way to start out is kind of where my parents came from. Mm. My mom was two months old when she was left on the doorstep of an orphanage in South Korea. And what's crazy there is basically they say that you are loved if your parents took the time to drop you off at the doorstep. Mm. Because there, um, they would drop them in ditches or trash cans or kill them, like all this yeah. stuff because of uh, shame or whatever.
1: So Yeah, we'll set the record straight because a lot of people ask what your nationality <laughs> is. So... Doorstep well, in.
0: South Korea. South so I did Korea. say South Korea. So Seoul, oh, South said, Korea. Okay, yeah. Yes. And so I'm half Korean, half yeah. white. There you go. <laughs> um and so with my mom. So obviously she was there for ten and a half years, and then she was adopted by my grandparents here in the States. And my dad, he actually was a product of an affair. So um the the guy who raised him, which I thought was my grandpa most of my life, uh, was an alcoholic Mm. and very abusive and a lot of it went towards my dad. And now we can see in hindsight, knowing actually more of the information, we can see why he was very abusive towards him, chanting a lot of the frustration and anger uh, about the fair towards him. Mm -hmm. And on my uh, grandma's deathbed, she refused to tell my dad his real biological dad. So Mm -hmm. imagine growing up that way. um, And, and finding out that way that you, you have a different father and, um, wow yeah wow
1: man so you know i mean you're back and that's what we learn about with and what i've really learned about especially in interviewing so many people is that this forms early childhood um ideas around who god is this kind of forms your god image and mm-hmm. that's that's part of what has begun to what began to happen in you was as you be, as your parents they kind of entered into this this mess you know yeah. coming coming out of this mess uh, each of their own respective messes as they start a family, it, it you know, your family began to to start out with a shaky foundation as well.
0: Yep. And they both did the best that they could with what they knew and yeah. what they what they grew up with. And so it's been really it was really hard because my dad, he was a pastor, um and so also was my mom. She was a pastor's kid. So here I am as a pastor's kid. And I'm feeling this need to be perfect in church, be perfect for my dad. Um, But then we would get home and it would be a different story. Mm. So with my dad, it was just really hard because there was a lot of abuse in the house. It wasn't fully physically abusive, but just a lot of emotional and mental abuse. I felt like um, we would go to church and my dad was the senior pastor and we pretend to be this perfect family. But then when we get inside our house, it was such a different story. I felt like I was always walking on eggshells um, and didn't really understand um, God fully or my dad fully because of it. So he, he was a very angry man. And I didn't know at the time, but he was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder. But at the time you just know, okay, there's some points where my dad's going to be really fun, like in that manic um, stage. And then there's points where my dad's just going to be really angry all the time. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I'm perfect. So he's not angry towards me. Um, And so I correlated that with the Lord as well. So there's going to be times that God, I understood his wrath very well because of it. Um, I knew that God, he needed me to be perfect in order to go get to heaven. So I was going to be the perfect. Christian, the perfect little girl, and then I can maybe go to heaven, and he would love me. Yeah. So I, I always correlated both of that with how my parent, my dad would love me, or God would love mm-hmm. me. Right. So what's hard about all of these memories is um, people, when they have trauma, um, there's many ways that it can manifest. My way it manifested was I blocked a lot of memories. Suppressed, yeah. Um it was a it was a way for me to not have to deal with those um huge feelings that at that age I couldn't deal with. Yeah. It was too much for me. Um so I did what I could do best at that age. I just learned how to put up walls. So I don't have a lot of memory of um a lot that happened, but I do a, a huge memory that stuck was when my parents got separated. Mm. Um, my dad ended up moving to Indiana, and my, my mom and I and my sister, we all lived in a trailer in a yeah. cemetery um, in Illinois. Yeah, And I remember for the first time, I was eight years old as a kid, being in a cemetery yeah. in a trailer, a gross, nasty trailer, and feeling at peace for the first time.
1: Wow. Um, that's crazy because you know, you took me to this place.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, you know, we were kind of driving through and you're like, Oh, let's go to my old hometown. And you showed me this cemetery and you showed me these trailers. And I was like, this is, this is kind of creepy. It's eerie right Mm -hmm. here. What what eight year old would feel safe here? Yeah. You know, but compared to how you felt at your at you know, with your dad in your house. Yeah.
0: I remember the times he would come back uh, to the cemetery, (laughs) to the trailer that we could only afford at that time after they got separated um, and just feeling this like fear again and yeah. trying to hide into a room. Um, I remember them, they got in a fight and he punched in the wall and left this huge mark. And and I guess I don't know what a sem- uh, trailer is made out of, but he left this huge mark and it looked like aluminum or I don't even know. It's kind yeah. of uh, metal, some kind of metal. Wow. Um, but just feeling that fear and we, they end up getting back together and we moved to Indiana after yeah. that. And there still was a lot of, of anger, a lot of fights. Um we would me and my sister when they would fight, we would hide in a closet and we would make jokes out of it because that was my only way out of it. Yeah. If we can make it happy and light, then then I could not think that it's actually a reality.
1: At one point, you know, I remember you sharing with me you guys were on a trip driving and you kinda of got a little bit too loud in the car. Explain that, what happened there?
0: Yeah, so um Again, I'm an Enneagram seven, so I didn't obviously know it at the time, but I like happy thoughts and joyful yeah. thoughts and nothing sad, um, no other negative emotion. And so we were on this trip and like how I am, I'm very playful. We're sitting in the back and I was just laughing a lot with my sister and laughing a little too loud that it was annoying my dad. So in the middle of the highway he pulls over and just starts strangling me in the back. Um, mm.
1: Yeah, I remember hearing that, babe, for the first time and and you know, and, and, and one of the things you guys have to recognize is throwing back to what Christy said, when there's traumatic things that take place in your childhood, you suppress them. And that's what I recognized when I started dating Christy, because she would, she would all of a sudden have some of these memories, like they would come up and it'd be like, oh yeah, this is what happened. And in in some ways she would share it almost like nonchalantly, like, oh yeah, my dad choked me in the backseat. And I was like, wait, excuse me, what? Hold on a second let that sit. You realize like, that's not normal like that. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that tends to be how, you know, some personalities just deal with trauma. It's just kind of like, you know, becoming a little bit apathetic or numb to it. But I just remember the phenomenon of that, like these things randomly, these suppressed thoughts, randomly memories coming back up and you're going, Oh yeah, I just remembered this. You know, oh, and yeah. it's like, wow.
0: Well, I didn't even remember the, ac- the actual memory, which is crazy because I was pretty old um, until I was in counseling. And I, d- I told them for some reason, I'm having this reoccurring nightmare that mm-hmm. someone's choking me in my bed. And they said, usually that's because there's some kind of file cabinet in your brain that um, it's open. The door is still open and there's files just going around in your brain and it's not filed away. Mm. So they, they sat and they did this kind of um, therapy with me that basically was just trying to bring up some of those memories. And they prayed and they said, let's let's pray to God that he can just bring those memories back so we can grief through them. Mm. And I remember that memory came back up and I just started bawling and I, and I felt scared at that moment. I'm like, I don't want to know this. I don't want to know all the things that happened to me because it's too overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, who wants to feel all those, those thoughts that just came right. up from, you know, all the things that happened when you were as a, ki- a kid. Right. So, um, the, the counselor said to me, Christy, you can either, um, survive the rest of your life and, mm be numb to life, Mm. but you're never going to feel the highs, the really good highs of life. But yes, you won't feel the lows and you're going to protect yourself Um, or you can thrive, but it's going to take a lot of work. You're going to have to dig down deep and you're going to probably have to go through hell. And I remember just thinking as a seven, like, I don't want that, but I also want to feel the highs Mm. of life. And I don't want to live through it. And, um, and so they said they told me it's going to take a while, and it took years. I would say once I decided to finally recount all those memories right. and and grieve each one of the things that happened to me, um, it was it was hell. It was torture. Um, but I feel like now I'm out on the other side, and I feel unscathed yeah. to tell you the truth. And I feel like there's hope, and I and I've been able to help a lot of people with it and so I'd encourage people out there that if there's something they don't want to deal with to to really go through counseling to mm. to bring those back up and to work well through them with somebody.
1: That's so good you know you've, you have experienced a lot of healing but you know for the sake of telling your story too I also want to make sure our listeners understand that you know just this right here wasn't the extent of uh, you know the abuse that you experienced and just the neglect and the abandonment and um, you know, that it that it got even worse. Um, you know, I remember you you telling me just some of the kind of your early teenage years, how you responded to this. And as you grew and learned to grow apathetic, you know, that this was kind of a defense mechanism that you could almost like kind of hold power in some ways yeah. with this, this idea of apathy. Can you explain that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, there was something that as a kid, you don't, you can't put a label on it. I think there's, as an adult, you kind of see what people like to diagnose as narcissism or uh, bipolar or schizophrenia, all those things, you don't realize that that's what's going on. And so one thing that you could diagnose my dad with would be narcissism. And so he liked having power and control over weaker things. And so, of course, as a kid, I'm weaker than him. Um, But I found out pretty soon and pretty early on, if I was apathetic when he's screaming at me and the abuse he would say and all the mean things he would say to me, if I just looked at him smugly that it would just get under his skin. So I learned just to do that and to not even care. And I turned off all my emotions to everything. So not even just to him, Mm -hmm. I learned how to be apathetic towards everything. Um, and so I would escape into my room. Literally when I was 12 years old, I'd go in my room until I was 16 years old. Um, and I would just try to get out of the house as much as I could. And I barely lived in my house. And so I still, but what is so crazy about all this, I still was trying to be perfect yeah. for my dad the whole entire time. If only he would love me. Yeah. If only I was perfect, he would fully, fully love me Yeah, and I'd fully be
1: cherished. You described it to me one time as like, there's this inner child, no matter how much you were growing older and into your teens and stuff, this inner child that was longing to have this love and approval from your dad.
0: Yeah. So for the longest time, my only saving grace in my mind was that I was going to go to college soon. Mm. Um, I... I remember the night before, I was so excited. I had all my things packed. And for some reason, I don't remember exactly why, but we got in a fight or something. My dad just told me, I'm not going to move you, um, move you out of our house tomorrow. You can do it on your own. So my mom and I, who barely weighs a hundred pounds soaking wet, <laughs> we got all my stuff, my refrigerator, everything from my dorm room. We took a dolly and we, we, we try to get up the stairs of this dorm room and they didn't have anything. They had like stairs. So this dorm room to get everything and everything just fell off this dolly. <laughs> and I just felt so angry, like how in the world, but I still felt hopeful. I'm like, well, I'm out of the house. I'm not with him anymore. And what's so crazy and intricate about how detailed the Lord is, yeah. even from such a long time ago, is the first person that came over to me to help me was this guy named Ralph. And he ended up actually being one of the first responders for Amanda.
1: Mm-hmm. And Amanda's murder. When
0: you, when you called the police.
1: Yeah. I remember you said that you were watching the news and you saw Ralph there in kind of the background of one of the mm-hmm. news reports. And uh, as you were telling me the story, you were like, yeah, this guy that came and helped us move, like rescued us, uh, first responded in some ways to you and your mom trying to do all this and this heavy lifting by yourself was him. And I was just like, what? And there's, as we go along, there's going to be a lot of different things that you're going to hear that God kind of weaves into our stories well before we even knew each other. But I think it's just important to note these things because this is part of God's redemptive writing process. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, you're you're trying to move into college. Your dad doesn't help, yeah. And uh, you finally get into this dorm room,
0: yeah. And I was it's just again classic seven when they're in their own health. It just just stay away, like run away from yeah. everything. So I didn't want to go back to the house. Had no idea what was going on back home because I just needed to get out of that. Um, so when I had to move back into the house for that summer, um, there was just a different presence in mm-hmm. this house. Um, it's crazy how to even explain it because you can only see it with your own eyes. You can't hear it from anybody else, but you can see your dad and the look in his eyes one day and the next day it seemed like there was just like this evil presence in him, yeah. which doesn't make any sense. Now they would diagnose that with, as schizophrenia. And so now I didn't know that at the time that it was schizophrenia. And so here I am thinking like, why is he always paranoid? Why is he putting the, the, the blinds down all the time? Mm-hmm. Why is he looking out like someone's going to get him and he, someone's after him? Um, but it was, it was very scary to live there. Um, we've honestly, I feared for my life he had a lot of guns and he would bring them out and kind of threaten Mm. me with them. And, um, it's just, it's a crazy thing to be living with someone that you think is going to take your life. Um, I remember just in the middle of the night sleeping and just couldn't sleep because I'm like, is he going to come in tonight and kill me? Um, I also remember thinking, Lord, like, okay, it's, it's kill or be killed type of mentality. Mm. Like what would I do to protect myself if this guy tried to kill me? And when I say this guy, like it's my dad. Yeah. Like a guy who pastored a whole church, like how in the world, it's hard for a child, like a, a child to even think that their own father would do that to them. Um, and so I, thought, I started thinking that I'm going crazy as well. Like how in the world would I even think about killing my own dad? Like yeah. even if he would try to, try to come in and attack me, there's no way I could hurt him. And so I remember praying to the Lord and just always saying like, Lord, if he came to kill me, like I wouldn't do anything. So you gotta protect me.
1: Wow. At one point, in this one, you know, when one of the things you shared with me that really saddened me, you brought uh, a guy you were dating um, back to your house uh, around this time period. Can you explain that a little bit and kind of explain the backstory too? You know, um, of kind of where you were at when it comes to your uh, purity and sexuality mm-hmm. and and kind of your your thoughts around that. Uh, give us a little context,
0: yeah, so this whole entire time, growing up, um, I would always have said I was a Christian because I was going to church in my mom 's womb you know up until that time, literally uh, for nineteen years, and I would say because of my parents faith, I was a believer, um, but it that 's all it was was my parents faith, and so I was taught that you stayed pure until marriage, um, and so i valued that because that was a way of me being perfect for Mm -hmm. God and for my dad. So when I brought this guy to the house, um, he he was hanging out with my dad and they were just having kind of bro talk to the side. And I heard him say, have you hit that yet?
1: Mm. You heard your dad say that to the Mm -hmm. guy you're dating, yeah.
0: And my boyfriend came over to me and told me what happened and was just like, feeling like he needed to, to, to defend my honor mm. in that moment. And we were pure at that point. And, and I value that so much, but just to feel at that moment that my dad didn't even value my own purity. Um, I didn't value his daughter, that, that I was an object, that he, he could hit that. And so um, it was crazy because honestly, that next week I lost my virginity to him because I said, I'm not worth anything. Mm. And I knew at that moment I wasn't worth anything. There's a, I remember reading in scripture about um, these people coming into town and they were saying, like, give us, give us, um, give us these men so we could sleep with them. Oh, yeah. And the dad said, well, I'll give you my daughters. Mm. And just honestly feeling like the Lord doesn't value women. Mm. He doesn't value me. He doesn't value women. And that was a lie that I believed pretty early on. Um, and so as time went on that summer, uh, he it just felt like it was becoming more and more unsafe for me to be in that house to the point where, and this is what's so crazy, again, I blocked out so many memories. So I don't know exactly what happened, but my dad was on a uh, work trip and um, he had a conversation with my sister and one of her friends. And basically, they feared for my life as well after that conversation. And they said, Christy, you need to get out tonight. And I said, well, what am I going to do? I think, And I called up a friend, and she had an extra room in her house, and it was at the uh, campus of U of I. And I said, okay, let's go. Let's pack up all my things. And it was late in the middle of the night. We pack up all my things, and there was actually a tornado, not even like, like a warning, but a tornado was actually going on. And we put all of my stuff in the back of a truck that I could fit and I left everything else. And um, most of my stuff got destroyed, but I got out of the house um, and went into hiding basically Mm -hmm. from my dad. So he couldn't kill me. Um, And it's just that house ended up becoming a huge party house. And that was a way for me to finally escape everything. Yeah. I remember I would, that summer, the rest of the summer, just get drunk about five nights out of that week and there would be points where I'd just take a fifth of vodka by myself in a room and just chug and just cry mm-hmm. because I felt like if I could just numb, if anything could numb this pain that was so overwhelming, the fear that I had daily that I was going to be killed by my dad, um, that I wasn't worthy, um, that I just lost my virginity and I was so sad about that um, because I, I I valued myself at least at that point um, that if only I could numb it, that would work. And, and, um, alcohol didn't for the longest time, like, okay, so maybe then the next thing, let's do some drugs. And so I started trying to do drugs with alcohol and that didn't numb it. And so I didn't know at that point, I felt like at that point I hit rock bottom. Like I'm not perfect anymore for God. Um, my dad could care less about me. So who, what am I, like, what is my value here? What is my, what is the point here living on earth? Because I was taught something in church my whole entire life, but I felt like it was, there was foundational truths, but I also felt there were a lot of cracks and lies that I was told throughout those foundational truth truths. And so there was a point where my sister talked to my dad and um, for some reason, we never thought my sister was unsafe, that he wouldn't kill her. So she told me like, hey, I think you're safe when you come back to the house and talk to dad. And I don't really remember a lot of that conversation, but I, what I, the last thing I do remember him telling me was, I wish you were never born, you effing ugly bee. And what's crazy is at the time, I didn't realize it, but what set me at that moment what, that I started believing about myself and about everything else was that everyone will always leave you. Mm. Because the person that's supposed to love me unconditionally, Mm. you'd think your parents are supposed to love you unconditionally, that they didn't wish, they wished I was never born. And then that I was not enough for him to love me. So I went through this life thinking everyone's gonna leave me and I'm not enough. Mm.
1: That was the last words that your dad ever said to you. Like, you have not had any kind of face to face. Voice-to-voice interaction Not with your that, dad since When I was 19 that, years old, yeah. Since those words.
0: Yeah. Man. Um, rock bottom was probably the best place I actually could have landed, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. I think if I would have lived this nominal Christian life of doing uh, what I thought was being a Christian, um, I wouldn't be in the relationship I am now with the Lord. So I thank God that he, he allowed all the suffering in my life at that point. Um, it was crazy because I knew that something had to give. Um, I was scheduled to work during, so basically fast forward to Christmas break. I was scheduled to work every single day. I actually had two jobs. I was supposed to work, uh, both of those jobs every single day. And, um, I was asked to go to this thing called Christmas conference with a campus ministry that was at, um, IUPUI. And I remember telling the director of that campus ministry, Hey, like, it's almost impossible that I'll be able to go. One, I don't have the money for it. Two, I'm scheduled to work every single day. And three, I probably don't really want to go with a bunch of Christmas Christians <laughs> on um, Christmas break. <laughs> but it was funny because he just said, well, pray about it. If you can get those and we can pay for your trip and you can get off of work, would you go? And I said, just to kind of appease him, sure, I'll do it. So I remember that night before everyone was leaving for Christmas conference, I decided to call my bosses and I just prayed. I said, Lord, I know you're not gonna do this and I know you don't love me, so I'm just gonna call just to prove you wrong. And I called them and they both on the phone during the busiest season that no one, you know, it was I was working at the mall. No one <laughs> yeah, would let retail, you go. Yes. Right. <laughs> retail. No one would ever let you get off. They just said to me, Yeah, I think that's totally fine. We can get your shift covered. Both of them. Wow. And I and I felt chills in my body like Lord, you're doing something here. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'll go. And the next day I got picked up by a random person i never met and <laughs> was in her car for five hours going to Nashville, Tennessee and slept on the on the floor of a hotel room <laughs> and ended up being this girl named Kristen, who she's one of my best friends today. Yeah. Um, the whole time I'm there, I was so confused. Everyone was so happy. I remember someone coming up to me and saying, how do you like this? And I hated it at that point. And mm-hmm. I just said, I don't understand why everyone's so happy and y'all are sober. That was my first thing I said to them. But they said, okay, well, just pray that the Lord just softens your heart. And that, I mean, when Christians say those kind of things, you just like are like, seriously? Like, I don't even know what that means. But I said, okay, Lord, this is what someone told me. I'm going to pray. Please soften my heart. Whatever that means, please do that. And the next day, I start going through these talks and this hard, callous, jaded girl Mm. who has every single wall up towards every single person who learned how to be apathetic started having feelings Mm. and emotions. And I just remember throughout the day, I just kept on tearing up for certain things. I'm like, God, what is this on my face? Like, it must be <laughs> leaking. Like, I don't understand what's going on. And I still, I questioned it for the longest time, but I would say at that night, like that was the night that the Lord mm. captured my heart and that I gave my life to Jesus. And it wasn't my, my parents' faith. It was my own faith. And he he took all, like for the first time I understood what grace meant, that he actually loved me. Mm. But I would say that it, I didn't fully get a lot of those things until years later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's a profound moment. Absolutely. How God met you right there. Um, And you kind of, you had this salvation experience, but one of the things I really love about your story is the threads in uh, the parallels I see in your story with like the story of the people of Israel and coming out of Egypt and then wandering in the wilderness. And mm-hmm. I know it's one of your favorite stories. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're developing a talk right now for a conference you're going to be speaking at in May yep. where you're talking about Moses and you're kind of sharing your story through that lens of Moses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that same spirit, you know, at that moment, it's like you, you were rescued. You like you were, you were marched out of Egypt in that moment, but there is, and we 're going to talk about here in a second years of wandering where God was and has been working at getting Egypt, so to speak out of you yeah. and learning what this looks like to be healed um,
0: yeah, you know the best way I could even explain that is I <laughs> at that moment then I knew like, okay, I need, I need to do something about Mm. all the past issues in my life. And so I went to counseling immediately. And, um, after a year, I was so frustrated that I didn't feel like I'm healthy. Like I'm Mm -hmm. a healthy functioning human being that doesn't have like crazy emotional reactions to things or triggers. And so I told the counselor, like, why do I still have triggers? Why can't I handle this emotionally? And she just said to me so sweetly, Hey, Christy, you are only 20 years old and you've had one year of like working through all this stuff, mm-hmm. but you've had 19 building blocks of just unhealth. Mm-hmm. So you have that one that you can measure to that 19. You ha- This isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. It's going to take a while. And now looking back, I can just see how God, just how you said about the Israelites, taking 40 years just to get Egypt out of them. So they Mm. left Egypt, but he fully had to get Egypt out of them to get to the promised land and to understand and want to be in the promised land. That's a a huge difference because growing up, you think heaven is going to be mansions and cotton candy and (laughs) pools and all these fun things. But what if it's nothing and it's just Jesus? Is that enough? And I mm. think that over time, he had to show me, Christy, like, I want you to, and I'm gonna prepare you for the promised land, but I have to get all this junk out of yeah. you. Wow. Cause there's a, there's a lot, Yeah. and it's not gonna be quick.
1: Hey, Chris, we are still going to Israel. I know. I'm so excited. October 12th through the 20th in 2020. I felt like when we first started this, 2020 was so far off. I was like, will it ever get here? Now we're in 2020. And we're going to Israel this year in October. We yes. want you to go with us.
0: Yes. So please come. Yeah, we want as many people as possible.
1: Yeah, it's really awesome because right now you're nursing our baby while you're talking to a microphone hey, with me. Hey, they wouldn't have point, known.
0: They would not have known babe, if you wouldn't have said it. at that point when
1: we're in Israel, you will no longer be nursing. No, exactly. It's going to be fantastic. Yes. It's like a, woo, we just weaned Cohen. Awesome. So what are
0: you most excited about? Personally,
1: baby? I am most excited about the fact that Israel was a major trip for me in my own personal healing journey. Mm. And I cannot wait to take the folks who are going to go with us to all the spots that God met me Mm. in profound ways. And I just believe this is going to be a majorly healing experience for so many people who are coming with us. that God's going to match us up with exactly the right people who need these experiences, the Bible to be opened up to them in a way that it's never been opened up to them. Uh, We're probably going to, we're going to definitely do a lot of teaching and stuff at the different spots. It's going to open up God's word in ways you've never seen it. But also uh, we're probably going to do some worship at some of these spots. I want these stops at these locations to not just be a touring thing, but to to be a healing thing, to be moments where we meet with God. So that's what I'm most excited about. Yes.
0: Do you want to know what I'm most excited about? I would love to.
1: That's what I was waiting on. I want to hear. Awesome. Yes, I
0: am excited just to feel like the Bible is coming to life. Like. I feel like you can read it as much as you can, but you're not going to fully get it unless you immerse yourself in the culture and actually see the buildings where all this happened. So I'm super excited about that.
1: Yeah. So we still have spots available. We only have a total of 50 spots available. And so make sure you act on this fast. The deadline's coming up here in a couple of months. There's going to be a deadline. So nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. Nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. To hold your spot, you only have to have the deposit in right now, we go through faith-based expeditions. It's a very reputable company. We've taken I've taken all my trips through Faith-Based Expeditions. So nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. Come to Israel with us in October. We'd love to have you.
0: After Christmas conference, um, I really had the naive thought that things would be easier. I'm a Christian. I'm following the Lord. Everything is going to go my way. He's going to help me out. We're all going to be good. But you know, after, it felt like at first that's how it was. After a series of events, uh, a lot of things started working out in in my favor. I was supposed to live with uh, a house that was going to be a party house. And basically I was able to get out of that and there was no burn bridges or anything like that. And that was a fear of mine. And I was able to move into a ministry house with um, a group of five girls. And so um, that was a Exactly what was needed in that season. Um, number one, to hold me accountable in my walk with the Lord. But also, I was about to step in into basically one of the longest seasons of, I guess, you would use the word hell mm. that was ever going to happen to me. Um, and so... Christmas conference was during New Year's, and then we go to Beach Project, which was that summer, and um, basically, uh, it's where you dedicate eight weeks of your summer to dig in with the, into the Word more, and to learn how to share your faith and grow in your walk with the Lord.
1: And Beach Project is still part of this, CO, Yeah, you know, this right, campus, campus ministry outreach. that I was
0: involved in, yes. And so, I lived in a hotel room with five other girls, that's actually where I met our past co-host, Mal McIsaac, uh-huh. yep. and I slept in a bed the whole summer with a girl I had just met when I arrived. um, (laughs) It was one of the hardest things at that moment, being there and kind of feeling like I was a fake because honestly, everything that was going on back at home was pretty much crazy. Mm. And I had to hide it from the girls because Mm. I'm just thinking, these girls are not gonna understand any of this kind of stuff. I don't even fully understand what's going on. Who can grasp some of these things that are going on at home? Um, So I'll explain some more of that. Basically, when my parents got divorced, they got divorced, um, my sophomore year in college. So a semester before I came to know the Lord, mm-hmm. um, my mom moved into a one bedroom apartment and my dad was at our old house and we would get random phone calls from our family friends. Um, just that my, they found my dad outside running in the middle of the woods with his pet parrot, but, but naked. Wow. Um, My sister, sometimes she would go over to his house and at one time she went over to his house and he pulled a gun on her and said, if you would have came here 90 seconds beforehand, um, I would have shot you because I thought you're one of them. Wow. Um, He would always look out the blinds, paranoid, thinking that someone's out to get him. And so I didn't know what all that was. I just knew that that didn't seem like my dad.
1: Yeah. Sounds Um, like there was some kind of mental health deterioration that was happening right there.
0: Yes. And honestly, now that I have my PA degree, when I was working in behavioral medicine, I just started pinpointing certain things. And I realized that if my dad would have came into that, my clinic at this time, I would have said that he had schizophrenia. Mm. And so when you're going through it as a young kid and you're not educated on all this, it doesn't make any sense to see your dad go down the spiral that your, I mean, your dad was, a, my dad was a senior leader. He was a yeah. pastor. I mean, he was a vice president of a multimillion dollar company. Like mm. this guy is high capacity, high functioning. And now he's sitting here running around naked with a parrot. Like wow. I, it's even hard to say that out loud. So basically now back at Panama city beach where we were staying in the hotel. Um, one night we were all sleeping and I received a phone call that woke me up in the middle of the night and it was from my mom. And I think the biggest thing that people have to understand, and Davy, you know this about my mom. She's very stoic. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't show emotion. So not at all. Um, she never likes to even admit like some of her weaker emotions. And so my mom called me and all I could hear from her voice was that she was terrified for her life. Wow. And I remember just thinking like, okay, there's, just, there's absolutely no way that my mom's doing this. Like, Something bad is going to happen. Um, So hearing hearing her frightened on the other end of the phone just honestly put me in a panic. I was wanting to protect her. Um, I could hear my dad pounding on the door, screaming to let him in that he wasn't going to rape her. Like those were... Wow, that's what he
1: was saying. Those were his words. I'm not going to rape you.
0: Which doesn't make any sense again to me. You guys are divorced. And that's not the first thought that's going to go through my mom's Mm -hmm. head that she's not going to let you in. She's not going to let you in just because she's not going to let you in. And so I'm sitting here baying my mom on the phone at this point. Mom, please don't open the door. Please don't open the door. And she's like, Christy, if I don't, what are the other options? And what you got to realize is my dad is 6'3". At that point, he was over 200 pounds. My mom was five feet, soaking wet, like 100 pounds. Like there is no way that my mom's going to be able to defend herself. Mm -hmm. And so she said, I have to. And... Here I am, like, okay, I'm going to call my sister. I'm going to call our family friends to come over. I'm going to call the cops. So I, I hang up the phone. And that moment, I remember saying to myself, this is probably the last conversation you're going to have with your mom. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, I feel like it, the, conver- like, for me ending the phone call, for me getting the next phone call, it felt like an eternity. Wow. I mean, it maybe was 30 minutes, but when you think your mom's dead, Uh, Those 30 minutes feel like an eternity, honestly. And so I got a phone call and basically they said that they they came over. He ended up leaving. And throughout that summer, things like that kept on happening where Mm. my mom would call me again or my sister would call me again. And I just felt like it was kind of in a weird way. I felt this guilt for me being safe. Um, away from all of that and that my my mom and my sister were having to deal with that yeah. with my dad. Yeah. So I felt like I needed to come back but my mom kept on saying stay there because at least I know that you're safe. Mm. Um so I decided to stay there um but it wasn't easy. Mm. Um when we were in the middle of worshiping and I literally dropped down to my knees just weeping. And mm. I could tell everyone around me is just like kind of staring at me like, what is wrong with this girl?
1: And this was like at a worship service at your, at the beach project. Yes. Yeah. A mm. bunch
0: of students. I think it was like 200 students, all wow. college students. Um, and I felt this overwhelming peace in the midst of me, in my, in my sorrow. Mm. And I told the Lord, okay, like this is okay. Like if something were to happen, my mom, like I fully give her up to you. Um, but she lived a faithful and obedient life and I would be okay on my own that I'd be able to survive. I could serve him and I'm going to do what he wants me to do no matter what. And I feel like that just created this deep relationship with him because when you have nothing, like Jesus becomes your everything at that point.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, So
0: in that same week, we ended up talking about forgiveness and how Jesus forgives me. And not only does He forgive me, but He forgives like the sins that we think are the most unforgivable sins. Mm. Which obviously we know that's a level playing field; that all sin is the same in God's eyes. But like for us, we think that like you know to be a murderer, like He forgives the murderer, He forgives the prostitute, He forgives the thief. Right. And I'm sitting here thinking that okay, I'm struggling with forgiving my dad, Mm. and. I felt like the Holy Spirit just started convicting me slowly, like, Christy, like, you need to do this, not just for him, but honestly, for yourself. Mm. I was told at that moment that bitterness rots a hand who holds it. Wow. And I knew that like the hatred and anger that was going on in me was so long in me that it was turning into kind of rage and just bitterness. Yeah. It was honestly slowly destroying me. And I felt like it was being projected towards others. Mm. So as weird as, and as crazy as it sounded, like I decided on that day to forgive him. And I remember saying like, if I'm going to forgive him, like I literally have to put a stake in the ground and Mm. say daily, like the moment any trigger happens or the moment he does something else that's like sending me down the tailspin again, that I'm going to say, no to God, like this guy's been forgiven and I'm not going to hold a sense against him. Yeah. Wow. So honestly, Davey, the cool thing about all this was that over time, that anger that was honestly destroying me slowly started turning into something a little more vulnerable and a little more weak, mm. um, into kind of just sadness and grief mm. and sorrow. Yeah. And finally, honestly, all that turned into to compassion for him. I started mm. realizing, wow, this man who worked his whole entire life just to provide um, a life for his kids and his wife basically just lost it all. Wow. And I'm just sitting here thinking there – That has to be the loneliest of places. And before I would never have been there. I would have said, good riddance, good thing that he's by himself. He deserves it. And now, honestly, it is more of a, I have a compassion for him at this point. Even still today, I actually had to talk to a a counselor about this just because I felt like in a way, like if I forgive him, like, am I supposed to allow him back in my life? Mm. I, I know that sounds even crazy, but like when it's your own father, when it's a family member, like it is really hard to say you're forgiven, but I still can't allow you in my life. Yeah. Like that is like a hard place to, to go at. And she just mentioned, honestly, if someone is not safe, that is not good for them to be back in your life. Right. And so right. you can forgive someone fully and have no ill will towards them, but it's not a safe person to be in your mm. life. And that is okay. And it, it honestly felt like it, this was an okay for me to just be like, okay, well, we've parted ways and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to be back in my life.
1: Wow. Well, you found out some more stuff about, you know, your dad as the, as kind of time went on there in this time, in this context, this time period. Why don't you talk through that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again, we were getting phone calls left and right about different things. And finally, and again, I'm hiding everything from everybody. So Mm -hmm. I'm struggling the whole entire time. I'm hanging out, supposed to have fun at this on the beach, you know, with my friends. And honestly, it just felt like hell. And I was, so I was at work and I get another phone call. And at this, that this phone call was just a lot different than the other phone calls. This phone call, basically they said that he was in jail
2: Hmm.
0: and that basically he stabbed a guy at a gas station in the middle of the night. And when you hear those words that your dad's in jail and he stabbed someone. Now, again, this is secondhand information. I didn't hear it from the source. And so I really don't know what happened. But it's it was confusing, honestly, mm. and I didn't. Again, I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Here I am with my friends, and I don't even know how to explain to them what's going on with my family back home because they don't they don't understand how I grew up. Right, um, and so at that point, I was forced to confront what was going on. Mm. I, I literally was on the ground bawling and everyone's like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? I feel like you've been off this summer. And I still refused to tell them. Um, later I find out that he, someone posted bail for him. Mm. Um, and he ended up leaving the state and, um, didn't go to his court date. And so there was a warrant out for his rest. Wow. Um, and again, no one else, like none of my peers were going through anything similar mm. to this. So I felt isolated. I felt lonely. I felt like I couldn't tell anybody what was going on. And I was digging deep into scripture. What was so neat about my relationship with the Lord is I felt like he would always meet me where I was at. And Mm. so the moment um, I became a a believer and started following the Lord, I was 19 years old. I decided I would read the Bible every single year and do the Bible in a year every single year. And so um, every year, anytime I was going through something, that those scriptures would just speak to me right there at that Mm -hmm. time. And it would change every single year. And so this specific time, I read the verse from John that Jesus promised um, us that it basically wouldn't be easy. And he says that in this world, you'll have trouble, Mm -hmm. but take heart. I have Ah. overcome the world. Ah. So he gave me this promise, like, okay, like he's more powerful than all of this. And then I continued reading and I saw in Matthew. um, it said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body and health. Out. And what I realized when I was looking at this contextually is like Jesus was talking to his disciples, but more out of telling them advice from a place of understanding mm. because his disciples were being kind of chased and persecuted, right. but also Jesus was threatened for his life oh, man. all the time.
1: I'm actually reading John right now. I'm reading through the gospels of it. And there's a lot of instances, more than what I thought of how many times people were like, they almost got to him way earlier than what it was his time. They were plotting yeah. to kill him. They almost arrested him. They, and it keeps saying over and over and over, he would escape away from yep. the cl- crowds. He would disappear because it wasn't his time yet. But can you imagine feeling, I know you can, Yeah, feeling that sense of just being trapped in a prison uh, yep. of paranoia.
0: And honestly, I kept on saying like, my friends don't get this. My friends don't get this. But like Jesus did. yeah. And so as crazy, like I know that we all say like we should read the Bible. Like it's it, it grows you in your faith, but that was the only thing. Like I thirsted for the Bible. I wow. thirsted for his words because I'm like, this man understands me and no one else does. Yeah. And so... Um, it's it's so sweet that God has a way of doing that every mm-hmm. single time. And um, one thing I end up reading in Jeremiah that says, um, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Mm. And But even before that part, he was even saying that he has a plan for our lives. And he says that he has a plan for a hope and a future. And so in the middle of my darkest season, I found hope because I put it in Jesus and yeah. not some temporary thing.
1: Wow. You know, one of the things that we learned going through counseling, but one of the things we also take people through in the pain to purpose course is is what's called a layers of loss timeline. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you know, we talk about this quite a bit when we interview people on this podcast that there's layers to loss. It's not usually the first kind of incidents that really derails you or takes you off course. Yes. It's the multiple things. And one of the things I think that's really important um, of what the work that you've done in your life is that you've begun to identify what those layers of loss are. Yes. And so sometimes loss is very, very concrete. You know, you lose a family member, right? Or you lose a friend right, to, to death or to you know, maybe to illness or something like that. But then other times loss is really ambiguous it's kind of really nebulous, like the loss of your sense of security yep. or the loss of your community or the loss of your sense of belonging. And those kinds of things are, are parts of the grief process. It's parts of the... You need to identify those things in order to draw them out and begin to deal with them. And that's something I think that it's been really great to see you do.
0: Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's just happens overnight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gut-wrenching the work that you have right. to do to work through it. But it, at the end of it all, it's worth it.
1: Yeah, babe, you're absolutely right. And that it's completely worth doing the work to uncover those layers. Um, but before you begin to uncover those layers, you kind of, kind of ran away in some ways. Yeah. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So I felt like I was fully devoted with serving the Lord. And in my mind, I thought I had the purest of motives of going out and serving in any type of missions that I could. Um, But honestly, there was like kind of like an underlining of um, just kind of escaping from, from my past, from everything that was going on at that moment. Um so I actually ended up going to to Brazil. I stayed there for a summer to share my faith at a college um that we were staying close to. I studied abroad in Puebla, Mexico for a semester with a campus ministry and uh, finished my minor in Spanish. Um I worked and lived in an orphanage in Mexico City for 5 months teaching classes and spending time with the kids.
1: You forgot to mention that you also played volleyball while you were abroad. Yeah. In Mexico at that school. That is a run- random fun <laughs> fact. It's, it's actually, a fun fact. I know.
0: It, it was actually a really good school. And yeah, my uh, roommate ended up being the captain of the volleyball team. So,
1: <laughs> Well, what's really interesting is now because of the Enneagram, we kind of have some um, handles for some of the ways that you were responding to pain. By just escaping and seeking mm-hmm. adventure and seeking thrill and seeking you know something oh, yeah. other than negative emotions.
0: Oh yeah, especially in that season, I felt like I would die if I didn't have that, yeah. and I was seeking temporary highs. I thought I was living for it in light of eternity, right. but honestly, I feel like it was kind of both. It was rubbing the itch yeah. of finding joy in the midst of just craziness.
1: Well, and I think that's very valid that you can have dual motivations. You know, it's yes, not, but like. You know I think recognizing that is really good to go okay this isn 't one hundred percent motivated out of like i 'm seeking building the kingdom like I really kind of just want to escape this this garbage that i 'm going through and that I feel when i 'm back in the states
0: yeah, so after um, after mexico city of of living in the orphanage, I ended up uh, going to Cambodia as well, working for a summer and working with some girls who were saved um, out of human trafficking and I taught them English. And then ended up moving back to Mexico to teach at an American school for two years. So that literally was my whirlwind uh, yeah. escape thinking that I was like fully just uh, serving the Lord. But, um, honestly there were a lot of things that God showed me along, yeah. uh, along the
1: way. Well, talk a little bit about some of the things God showed you on the journey as you're traveling abroad and doing these things.
0: Yeah. So one of the places I went to again was Mexico city. I worked in an orphanage for a semester and, um, I heard about one of the boys that was living in the orphanage um, about one of, about his story. And um, that night, I was just in tears, just crying to the Lord, kind of confused and just asking him and, and in a way, angrily asking him, like, how God, like, how in the world would you allow so much pain and suffering in this boy's life? Why would you allow him to be born to parents like that? Um, And so backstory of this kid is that his dad left him before he was born. His mom would go out partying late at night and would chain him to a railroad track. Mm. And now, like at the time, I mean, we can all have empathy and just be like, that is crazy. And I cannot believe that that happened to that boy. I mean, I was bawling my eyes out for him. But now as a mom, seeing it through a mom's lens and like thinking of our kids. So our kids are five and six. That was the age that he was chained in the middle of the night. Our kids are afraid of the dark in our own house. Yeah, right. Like with us in the house and them being fully in their comfort, like comfortable, safe home. Right. And here's this boy by himself in the middle of the night at that age, chained to a railroad Golly. So I'm just, honestly, I was just bawling, um, frustrated with God that his own dad would even abandon him like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of mad that he wasn't even loved and cherished by his own family. And I could not reconcile this? Like how God can you restore this for this boy? Like now he's in this orphanage. How are you ever going to restore right feelings for him mm. and help him, um, get to a healthier, healthier place to understand that he's loved. And so all of a sudden in the middle of me, just kind of angrily praying this to the Lord, I heard him say to me, Christy, you were abandoned too.
1: Mm. Wow. So you see yourself in this kid and, um, it begins to kind of cause some things to rise up in you or some emotions to, you know, you're, you're confronted face to face with this thing you're trying to escape.
0: Yeah. And honestly, at that moment, I realized I was honestly projecting a lot of my bottled up, like yeah. hurt mm-hmm. against God and, and actually using this boy as the reason why I'm angry at God. Wow. But in all reality, I was angry because of what happened to me, but it took, it takes vulnerability to realize that you were abandoned and mm-hmm. to say it out loud that I was abandoned and and not to, like, overcompensate and say, like, I don't care. Good. I'm, I'm glad that he's gone. But to accept the fact that you feel those deep woundings yeah, of abandonment.
1: A, yeah. And to label it, to call it what it is. Because up until that point, you probably did not you did not call it that. You didn't yeah. say, oh, I was abandoned. No. And God I didn't want to needed to confront you with this to, so that you would start labeling it, it what it is.
0: And they say awareness is half the battle. Yeah. And so, honestly, I was so in denial because... Um, I didn't want to even just put myself in that category. Um, And so here my mind didn't want to believe it, but honestly, my body was kind of keeping the score. Mm. And so another truth that the Lord showed me was when I was in Cambodia. So again, I was in Cambodia and I was working at a safe house uh, with girls that were saved out of sex slavery. Mm. And it was late at night. I was holding one of the girls on my lap and I was rocking her back and forth. And both of us were just looking up at the stars and we weren't even saying a word to each other because we couldn't understand each other. Uh, we didn't speak each other's language at languages. And, mm. um, honestly, I'd, all I had was tears running down my face and I was praying to the Lord that this little girl would feel completely loved mm. and worthy and valuable. Um, there's a saying in Cambodia that women are like rags and men are like gold, mm. that if you drop a rag in the dirt, um, and try to clean it up. it will never be clean again. But if you drop gold in the dirt, you just rub it off and mm. it still can it still keeps its value. Mm. And so these girls, basically for them, their virginity was their gold in a way. It was their right. value. It was what, um, what their worth was based on. And these girls were sold either by their family willingly, or they were, their family was deceived thinking that they were going to get paid a, a, in a great job somewhere. Right, and so right. here, these girls are basically being raped hmm. and now they lost their value. That's what their society yeah, tells their them. Society, That's what their culture tells right. them. Their value is fully gone because now they're worth nothing because their virginity right. was basically everything for them. They won't get married. Um, and they're going to suffer the rest of their life. Mm. And so here's this girl who none of this was her fault. Like the, she was literally born into a family that was impoverished. And they were in that circumstance where they would have to even think about, mm. do I feed the rest of my kids by selling one kid mm. or do we all just starve and die? Jeez. And so I can't even imagine as oh, a mom yeah. picking which kid right. would even be sold into that. Jeez. And so this girl gets sold she gets raped repeatedly by all these different men. Now she's in this safe house and she doesn't feel like she has any value or worth. Mm. And so I'm holding her and I'm begging the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, I know she doesn't understand my language, but can you please tell her that she is loved? And can she feel it in my embrace, even mm. though she doesn't understand a word I'm going to say to her. And it was as if God was just talking again to me in that moment. He was like, Christy, like you are fully loved. Mm and you are valuable and even though you don't feel worthy you are wow because you're my daughter wow. just like she's my daughter you're my daughter and again i didn't want to listen to that because i'm like i get it i like i was over i was overcompensating and creating this overconfidence in all reality i was super insecure hmm. and i did not feel valuable or worthy but i i would never admit that to myself
1: wow so again you're confronted with uh, the reality of an emotion that you're feeling and a And you're beginning to have to label it.
0: You know, and and they say that, but they also say, be careful of the relationships you form with these kids because Mm. you're going to leave. And so, again, that's how I felt. Everyone left. I'm not enough because Mm. if I was, then people would stay. And so here I am trying to hold these kids, talk to these kids, loving these kids, and realize in the same way that I'm going to leave them. Wow. you know, I love the verse where it says, "Even though my mother and my father forsake me, Lord, you'll you never abandon me, and you're right mm. there for me." And so, literally, to to feel that grasp of knowing the fact that like the Lord will never leave me, He will always pursue me. That is hard to fully, fully understand when everyone in your life just leaves.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And so, I didn't know how that would actually be taught to these right, kids, and right. I thought maybe I could help.
1: Um, so after your time you know, in Cambodia and all of these different travels, you kind of wound up in Mexico for a couple of years. Yeah. And, um, you were teaching at an yeah. American school there. Uh, I love this part of the story because <laughs> you're teaching it like the, in the context, like if you've ever seen the movie man on fire, the the kind of like school there where the bodyguards drop off the you know yes. you were teaching a school just like that
0: yep very like, similar to that now the
1: first time you told it to me I was like wait you taught at that school I thought like you <laughs> actually taught, I was like did you meet Denzel you know <laughs> <laughs> but no it, so explain explain kind of that a little bit um and and, and many of you guys will know we had Erica Camacho on the podcast a while ago. I don't remember right now what her episode number was, but she was a, you know, a mom of a student that you had there. And, um, so you just had some cool adventures there, but kind of explain your time there in in Mexico as a teacher.
0: Yeah. So I was a pre-med major and I ended up and I, it was honestly, God is a God thing. I ended up becoming an English teacher at the American school in Puebla. (laughs) <laughs> and I absolutely love my job. And again, yeah, it is very similar to what you said. I wouldn't say that every family had bodyguards, but a lot did. A lot had nannies and housekeepers and and drivers. And so it was definitely something that was very different than, than here in the States. Yeah. Um, I fell in love with teaching. And honestly, I thought I would just live my whole life there. Mm. Um, but after about a year and a half, I remember feeling like, Lord, like, I think it's time for me to get back home to the States. Mm. I want to pursue my PA degree, and um, I think I need to go back home. Even though this would kill me, um, that's probably the right decision. And so two weeks before I ended up moving back here to the States, I went out to a friend's birthday party, And the place that we met at was um, in a college town. So it was known for being very safe. Yeah, Um,
1: which uh, I think it's important to to iterate that is that this is not what we typically view as like Mexico. Like this area, super affluent, very, very safe, like gated communities. I mean-
0: Yeah, they call this the LA of Mexico just because there was a lot of money. Like everything was kind of flashy. Everything was nice and there was a lot of security. And so again, I've never felt, unsafe in mexico which was crazy because here i am in Hmm. the states where it seems safe and we think of mexico as uh the cartel and kidnappings ransoms all this stuff and honestly i've never felt more safe in my entire life yeah and so up until this point everything had gone fine i never had anything to worry about and so i was at my friend's birthday party and i tried staying out as long as possible but i had to work the next morning so i decided to walk back to the car myself and um, another friend mentioned they said like hey like do you mind like i'll just walk you back so you're you're gonna be safe and i declined again because i feel like i at that time i had this i can take on anyone complex Mm -hmm. but this again overcompensation of what was actually going on and The college is on the same exact street I was walking down. So you have armed guards there watching it. It's really well lit. So there's nothing to even be afraid of or worried about. And I'm walking down the street and I see this group of people walking um, on the same sidewalk as me. And typically what I would always do, just a rule of thumb, just to stay safe, is if there was one person walking by themselves and if it was a guy, I would cross the street to make Mm. sure that I was safe, that I wouldn't be passing them one-on-one. But this was a group. So I felt perfectly safe, but I still kind of, again, I'm a wing six, so I still am kind of skeptical. I'm just <laughs> making sure everything's safe all the time. And so the first guy passes me and I'm like, good. I could breathe a sigh of relief. I'm in the clear. And as the second guy comes close to me, all of a sudden he sucker punches me right in the face mm-hmm. and everything just goes black. Um, wow. The, the, the first guy... I could feel him kind of like tugging on me and I didn't know what was going on. Uh, come to find out, they were dragging me from my purse and I didn't realize it. I was dragged into the middle of the street. They were kicking at me. And for some reason in my mind, all I can think of was hold on to your purse, hold on to your purse. And if I knew that's what they were wanting, I would have just let go. Yeah. Um, so I end up waking up to a taxi driver um, trying to get me up out of the middle of the street. Wow. Jeez. So he gets me up and he walks me to the sidewalk. And by this point, all the cars are stopping. Everyone's getting out of their cars. They're, they're coming over. They're trying to help me. And I'm just saying, like, they stole my purse. Get them. Get them. They stole my purse. And they're asking me who. And so we're looking around and there's nobody, literally wow. nobody except us um, in the middle of the street and in the middle of the night. And so I'm sitting here thinking, like, how long have I been passed out? Yeah. Like no idea. Um, I'm looking to see if I even got stabbed. I just, I'm looking everywhere on my body and, um, I had drag marks. I had little cuts here and there. I had uh, blood coming from my lip. Um, just things like that. And in my purse there, there was my visa, my passport, um, all the things basically to get me home. Wow. Wow. So again, going through all the things I've already gone through now leading up to this, like I was able to always just pretend like it's fine. Like, it's fine. I could talk myself off the ledge. I could always just say, like, I'm good. I would look up scripture and I would hold on to those promises and say, like, if I hold on to this, like conceptually hold on to this, then I'll get healed and I'll be fine. Mm. And that's enough. Um, But my body could not hide the effects of actually what happened. Right. So
1: of all of these different layers upon layers upon layers of, you know, feeling, you know, completely unsafe and the trauma of all of these different things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So I, how I found out that I wasn't okay at this point was um, I ended up going to the grocery store that week and um, anybody that even got close to me, my whole body would jump violently mm. and I would like gasp, like almost scream. And just being so embarrassed, like Christy, get yourself together. Like you really weren't in that bad of an accident. You're, you're, you're still living. They didn't kill you. So you're fine. And, and I know even saying this out loud, that seems crazy, but like, to live a life of just trauma, like you, you learn to survive Yeah. because there's what other option do you have at that point? Mm. You can go down the path of, I hate my life and I, I wish I was dead. Or you can say like, let's find the joy in everything and let's keep on going. Mm. And that's, that's the path I chose to take. And, and finally it didn't work anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, and a lot of like your find the joy and everything was coming out of more of a personality of optimism of yeah. like, Oh, everything's fine. Kind of like sweeping it under the rug. And, you know, again, as we talked about earlier, you, you needed to confront these things and call them what they are. Yeah.
0: And I'm now, obviously we can realize that that was PTSD. Um, Right. And I never, for me personally, just even saying like I would have had a diagnosis or I have a diagnosis that just, I hate that. Like Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't want to be a product of a diagnosis. I want to, I want to get past it. Um, I still have layers of PTSD still today from that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say there are still times that you're on edge or you're, you're jumpy, jumpy about Any loud things. noise. I mean, yeah. we're
0: watching a Disney movie. I remember we're watching The Incredibles, right. and I screamed in the middle of the movie theater when one part came right. out. And it's embarrassing for me that those are my reactions. And I know like um, – that there's only so much you can do to heal conceptually. And again, like conceptually, there's no way, honestly, that we can heal. Like it takes an emotion-laden experience to heal an emotion-laden experience. Right,
1: exactly. And so
0: what we were talking about um, in counseling recently was that you have these neuropathways and there's a certain neuropathway that goes to your, your fight or flight response. If you've had a bad trauma experience, you can have the same type of experience, but with a different outcome that will actually heal that Mm. area of that fight or flight. So that trigger doesn't trigger you in the same way because you're saying, well, this one was unsafe. This experience was unsafe. Now this same type of experience is safe. Right. So I don't have to have that stressful, anxiety-filled response.
1: Which is going to be important, you know, as we start getting into some of the layers of your healing. You know, there's going to be some situations that have taken place in relationships in your life that um, kind of indicated a different uh, response. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So coming back, I was in a very vulnerable place. I felt like when I left the States years ago that I basically pushed pause and that when I returned, that I pushed play again and everything we would be back to the same. So I'd have mm. the same friend group. They would still invite me to the same places. We would all hang out. And honestly, everyone lived their life without me. Yeah. And it felt like it was on fast forward in that obviously I was just all of a sudden removed from everybody's yeah. lives. Even my own family, they were used to not contacting me. And so it was a very, very lonely and vulnerable place to yeah. be mm. because I'm doing the gut-wrenching work gut right i'm doing the gut wrenching work but i have nobody around me to yeah, help me right and so i remember reading one of lisa turker's book and she basically said that how many little yeses did you make in the first place to make that very big yes and so because mm. of me feeling vulnerable and weak i started making some little yeses things that i would probably have never made before yeah. that led to this big yes of me sleeping with a boyfriend and getting mm. pregnant wow um So at that time, I refused to have a shotgun wedding, and I was adamant about raising my child on my own, Um, but I I really sought a lot of, with, like, wise counsel, and I prayed like crazy for months, and I finally had peace that I was supposed to marry him. Mm. Um, So we end up getting married, and just even, honestly, for the sake of my daughter, Natalia, she is our child. Um, i just don't really want to share all the details of why we got divorced eventually when she's old enough, uh, me and her father are going to explain that to her. But as yeah. of now, just to have a recording out there that where maybe she could find out on her own is not something that I would right. want for her. So, yeah. um, I definitely don't want to talk about why we got divorced, but, um, it ended up in divorce. Yeah. And, um, for the past eight years of following the Lord, I felt like, every trial that came in my life, like it led me to this crossroad of, okay, do I, am I going to just stop serving the Lord or is he worth it? Mm. And every time I felt like, okay, no, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Like he's the best choice. But at this point, like here I am, um, divorced with a child. Mm. I felt betrayed by God. Like I felt like I had tried at that point to do everything in my power to follow him. Um, And now my daughter's going to be affected by this. And I didn't feel like she should deserve this. And so I decided at that point, like I'm going to honestly just choose the way I want to live my Christian life. Like I'm going to have one foot out and one foot in, and I'm going to do it my way on my terms, but I still want to follow him. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I was just very, very angry at the Lord. And um, I ended up going to talk to my counselor at the time. Again, that was Julie, Julie Dotson, that was on one of our podcast episodes. And I just asked her why in the world would God give me this, the peace to marry this man and the same peace to divorce him? Mm. Like, I don't know, because for me, like, divorce isn't an option. So how I, what, like, was I wrong that he gave me a peace to marry him? Was I wrong that he gave me a peace to divorce him? Like, I don't understand what timing, like, when was I wrong? Like, yeah. basically, and she just looked at me and she said, Christy, like, you know, God is not a God of our expectations, Like Mm. maybe in your mind, you thought that you were going to be married to him for the next 60 years of your life. You're going to have more kids together and have this family, but God is a God of his promises. Right. And so it takes two to submit. Right. To God and to each other. Right. And so if, if those two aren't going to submit, then obviously we know what the answer is. And so. Yeah.
1: And that's not necessarily, that's not God's fault. No. You know, that's, that's human choice. But I blamed Um, God. Right. And that's what most of the time we do. You know, most of the time we blame God. God, why didn't you, like, this was supposed to work out differently. This was supposed to be different. But at the end of the day, exactly what you said, exactly what Julie said, it takes two people to really fully submit to each other and submit to God and to make a thriving marriage happen.
0: Yeah. And I honestly realized to this point, like, I didn't want to be a statistic. So not having a father in your life, uh, having the kind of family I grew up in, like these girls are statistics usually, Mm -hmm. usually single moms. And, um, for me, I knew like my life at this point, like I was trying to become a PA, I was trying Mm -hmm. to make better. And I felt like at this point I was a statistic, Mm -hmm. no matter how hard I tried. Um, so at this point in my mind, I just said, like, I never want to get married. Like, what is the point of marriage? All I've seen is it's just heartbreak and no one's in love. Like, it seems like at this point, like everyone gets divorced. So I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to chase fun. I'm going to serve God, I'm going to go to church, but I'm also going to just chase joy, like mm. temporary highs. So yeah. I chose meaningless relationships, going out, drinking a little too much um, whenever Natalia was with her dad, um, traveling to different places whenever there was an opportu- opportunity to do so, and just to basically escape um, mm. I was still getting in the word. I felt like I still could hear the Lord, um, but I wasn't listening fully. Yeah. So I got, um, into a relationship with this one guy and, uh, again, we were sleeping together, but I felt the Lord just convicting me and saying, Christy, like you're settling. Mm. Like this is not God's best for you. And not that this wasn't God's best for me when it comes to who I'm supposed to be with, but God's best for my life. Yeah. And so at that point I said, God, you're right. Like, I need a different life for Natalia. I don't need her to be going um, in the dating scene with different boyfriends coming in and out. I don't need her to see that that's okay and and to be a statistic as well. And so um, I felt like he was like, Christy, you forgot your first love. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I did. And I was reading at the time um, and a scripture came up and it said... Um, somebody asked Jesus and it said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your mind and your soul and your strength. And I remember feeling that I did at one point when I first came to know the Lord, I was so in love with him. I was, I wanted no distractions. And so I ended up asking Julie again, like, Hey, Julie, like, how do I get back there? Like, how Mm -hmm. do I get to that point where I was so in love with Jesus? And she said, well, what did you do? I said, well, I knew I needed no distractions. And so I said, I'm going to make a vow to the Lord. I'm not going to date for the next six months. And, that, and those six months turned to four years. And she said, well, you're not going to do that. <laughs> but do take a, a specific amount of time and just say like, Lord, I don't want any distractions. And I'm just going to be fully yours, wholeheartedly uh-huh. yours. And so I left there thinking, okay, Julie, like, I'm done. Like, actually, I'm never going to get married. Like, Mm. uh, it's going to be me and God. And um, I feel like my redemption story is going to be through Natalia and through her family and her kids.
1: Hey, we're just going to push pause on this conversation that I'm having with Christy, and I want to bring to your attention a special deal that we're running just for this 100th episode. To celebrate 100 episodes, we are knocking $20 off the price of the Pain to Purpose course, and we're giving you, podcast listeners, a special promo code. This Pain to Purpose course is essentially the step-by-step process that we take our coaching clients through that uh, so many people have gone through at their own pace, and it helps you step-by-step navigate your valley, wherever you may find yourself. Uh, We've found that people feel stuck oftentimes, and they don't know how to move through their valley. The only way out of a valley is through it. So we've developed this course, 11 videos, to help you navigate your valley. And we're knocking $20 off the price of this. So it goes from 99 to 79, $79. If you go to mypaintopurposeplan.com, yeah, that's my pain to And type in the promo code NIW100 for the 100th episode. NIW, nothing is wasted. NIW100. Use that promo code at checkout and get the pain to purpose course for $20 off. Back to my interview with Christy. Here we are now in the story where uh, you and I kind of meet at a CrossFit gym. So take it away from there.
0: Yep. So at that point in my mind, I'm like totally right enough, guys. I feel like, okay, Lord, me and you, we got this. Um, so I remember the first time I walked in, uh, you just kept on looking at me. And I was getting actually <laughs> frustrated. <help> <laughs> I was getting frustrated because I'm like, I already knew who you were. So I immediately felt this sense of like, Wave of grief, like, mm. oh my word, and empathy, like this is Davy, and I cannot believe everything he's gone through. But again, I avoid. So if I feel pain, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna avoid him. Mm. Like there's no way I'm gonna get around him. But then when I I was confused, I'm like, now he's staring at me. He's a pastor. <laughs> is he staring at every single female that walks past? Like I was so angry. And honestly, I feel like God needed that. He needed to use that. So that way I would have this kind of like wall towards Mm -hmm. you because honestly it was not the right timing for me and you to be together. And then at that point that was like September of uh, 2016. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm not going to go into like full detail about everything that happened in between then and like kind of after, but we did talk about that on an episode 61 and we talked about how we met.
1: The two year anniversary podcast of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Yeah.
0: But I'm just going to talk about some of those pivotal moments for me that I really haven't shared. So fast forward to January, and we had a long, in-depth conversation where you kind of just cornered me at the gym, like Uh, you kind of typically uh, just did. (laughs) Pastorally,
1: you know, very pastorally.
0: Honestly, I left that conversation (laughs) just very encouraged for the first time. Like, Mm. I remember telling a friend, like, you know, I would never marry Davey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because honestly, it was more of, like, I didn't feel like I deserved a man like you. Mm. Like, I... That, like there was just so much that came with me, so much baggage. And there definitely was a lot that came with you as well. Yeah, absolutely. But there was the fact that you were steadfast and faithful and obedient to the Lord. I just didn't think I deserved someone who was steadfast and obedient because I wasn't. Um, and so I knew that, it would, it just basically just gave me hope. Cause at that point wasn't dating anyone. I was just like, well, maybe, maybe eventually there will be a, some guy mm. that will come out because if God's showing me someone like Davey, then, then they actually do exist. Well,
1: <laughs> I remember you and I talking about like, what is it like? What in the world is it like to date at 32 years old or whatever it is, you know, like in yes. your thirties, like this is an odd thing. And, With and you're kids. Right. so you have this, you do suffer from this kind of, well, I'm going to have to settle. Yeah, You have this feeling that you're going to have to because yep. all the good ones are taken well, by this time. Well, I
0: remember my friends in their early 20s in PA school that were single. They were like, I just feel like i am just damaged goods and like no one's going to ever want me. Right. And there's no guys out there. And I literally looked at them at that time and I said, I am 31 years old with a child in PA school, <laughs> a divorce. Like if I'm going to find somebody, you will definitely be able to find somebody.
1: <laughs> by the way, I think, uh, let me be a pastor for a second. You don't have to settle. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's what if that's the point that we can get across right here, you do not have to settle. God has a great plan designed for you. It may mean you have to wait, but you don't have to settle.
0: And honestly, I say it over and over again. Like, for me, I didn't want to wait. Like I I love temporary highs and I love the fact that like I get things when I want them. I make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so I told Davey though, if I would have known That this is the way it was gonna play out, I would have waited. Mm. Like, I literally would have waited. And I like cried to him one night just because this is the power of our relationship is so different than anything I've ever Mm. experienced. And it is, it honestly, as cheesy as it sounds, like it is worth waiting for. Mm. Wow. So, sorry.
1: It's okay. (laughs) That was very meaningful for me to hear that. Thank you.
0: I, I felt like
1: you were tearing up right there. I was like going into my four wing for a second. I was about to write you a poem. Oh, my word.
0: So, yeah, that was the beginning of January. And um, at this point, we get to the end of February and we have been working out a lot at the gym together um, just because we usually ended up at the same classes at the same time mainly because you would always ask me what classes I was going to, and you would make sure you were there at those classes. I figured out a
1: way to, uh, in a not-so-sleazy, ball sort of way, come to the same class as you.
0: You are ridiculous. So... Um, That was kind of like at the end of February, beginning of March, we were working out and I was going to take Natalia to Chick-fil-A family Mm -hmm. night. And I typically do it by myself. Never feel weird about just being a single mom there uh, with Natalia in the play place. And usually I would take my PA um, notes and I would just study for my next test. And it gave me a reason to actually study when she was awake. I I always try to study when she was asleep so um, that she would never have to feel like I was neglecting her at that time. But as I was working out, for some reason, I started wanting to to have Davy and Weston come with me to yeah. um to the Chick-fil-A family night.
1: My prayers were working. That's what it was.
0: (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But honestly, like at that point, I didn't understand my motives. And so I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to lead him on. And um, I didn't know if maybe like my motive was that I was kind of lonely and wanted that companionship. Mm. Um, And so I love the verse in Proverbs where it says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, Mm. but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So I remember just while doing sled pulls. <laughs> How romantic, you know, I'm talking to the Lord. I I'm asking him, <laughs> I'm asking the Lord, like Davy, like I want Davey to come with me to Chick-fil-A, but I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going manip- to manipulate the situation. Um, you're going to have to have Davey ask me. And at this point, Davey really never asked me to do anything one-on-one. Mm. And so it was honestly something pretty impossible. And so for me to ask the Lord that I knew it was impossible and I knew it wasn't going to happen. Mm. And so, but if it did, then I knew it had to be from the Lord. And so, um, afterwards, after the workout, we were just sitting outside watching the kids play. And Davy asked me like, Hey, what are you, what are you up to afterwards? And I just said, well, I'm going to be going to chick play with Natalia. And, um, he just looked at me, and this was not his plan
1: to, do, to go with Weston, but he said... Could have been. I went to Chick-fil-A a lot. <laughs> he said,
0: that's funny. So was Weston. Weston and I were planning on going as well. And so he goes, do you just want to go together? And so literally, I just went numb because honestly, that was something that was impossible that I knew mm. only the Lord could do and that he did. And I remember just thinking at that moment, Lord, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? Mm. So we're at Chick-fil-A and I feel this immediate connection with him. And so like I freak out and I do what I know best and I just friend zone him immediately. (laughs) Um, And so at this point, it was only six months after I made that promise with the Lord of that. I didn't want to date. I'm just going to be dating him and that I didn't want to marry anyone. But I also knew like, God, like I'm not going to not see you work. And mm. not be obedient. And honestly, I felt like these were steps of obedience. Mm. But I was also smart enough to know at the time, like, man, if we were to get married, like that would make me a pastor's wife. And that's the <laughs> last thing I need to be with all my past, with like who I am. There's no way I can step into yeah. something that big.
1: Well, at the time you were serving in the shadows. Yeah. You know, at the time you were serving like in the farthest, the, the farthest room away uh, you know the very back room of our kids ministry. Yeah, you wanted to be in ministry, but you didn't want to be out front no. publicly.
0: I hate being a leader. I hate being on stage. I hate um, kind of even being like in the limelight in mm-hmm. any way. And yeah. so for me, I always tell the Lord, like I will serve you by even cleaning toilets if yeah. I have to, so no one has to see me. Like, well,
1: I remember you said something about like I don't want to live in a glass house or something, a or glass box or something yes, like that. Yes, well.
0: Basically, I was a pastor's kid being yeah. raised, and I felt like I was in a fishbowl. So fishbowl,
1: like, that's what it yes. was. You said fishbowl.
0: So one of those glass fishbowls that literally everyone can see you from every angle yeah. and every side, and then everyone feels like they have a right to have an opinion to right. your, on,
1: on your life. And I looked at you and I said, well, I live in a magnified fishbowl. Yes. So, <laughs> And that
0: was not something I ever yeah. wanted. Yeah. Um, so literally... As we start progressing in our relationship, we were moving down the path of just dating and possibly going into marriage. And there I, I were multiple times I tried breaking up with Davey to his face about three <laughs> times and behind his back multiple times. And again, uh, I'm still meeting. Probably the
1: number of times you've not even disclosed to me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nope, I will not tell you that. But one of the times I was thinking about it behind your back, I was talking to Julie. Again, Julie's like, if you need a counselor, you guys need to check out <laughs> Julie Dodson. Because honestly, yes. like, I feel like I've got so much uh, wisdom from her. But I was talking to Julie and I was telling her, like, I need to break up with him because I feel like, like I'm not fully whole and I'm not fully healed. And I don't need a man to do that for me. Mm. And, um, in the same way, like, I don't know if he's fully healed, but I don't want to break up with him because I feel like the Lord's telling me I'm supposed to be with him. <laughs> and I also feel like my relationship with the Lord is just thriving and I'm just being challenged. I'm growing closer with him. And What's so funny about Julie, she just like points it out and she's so direct. She's (laughs) like, so let me get this straight. You want to break up with him and you don't want to break up with him. So what's, what's the problem here? (laughs) And what was so neat is she immediately goes into uh, talking about a story about the pools of Bethesda Mm. and in scripture. And
1: it's weird because like... John chapter five, right? Yes.
0: I've never, I've read over John probably... I mean, just even through the Bible for the past 10 years Mm. and John multiple times. So like, here I am, she's telling me the story and I literally thought she made this up. So (laughs) she's basically talking about there was this uh, man who was paralyzed and he was on his mat and um, Jesus comes up to him and he says like, hey, like, why didn't you go into the pool? And basically what happens with the pool is every year an angel comes down, stirs it, And then whenever you jump into it, then you're healed, which is kind of crazy to even think about. So she's telling me the story. I'm like, no way (laughs) is this in the Bible. And Jesus asked the man like, hey, why didn't you go into into the pool after they stirred it up? And he said to Jesus, the person who is called Jehovah Rapha, Mm like the Lord is my healer. So he's the the ultimate healer. And he tells him and he gives him an excuse and says, because I'm you know paralyzed, I couldn't get in. But Jesus was so patient with him. And he said, like, hey, you need to get up, take your mat and walk. Wow. And so what's funny about that story is when I was thinking about it, like here I am in the way I want to be healed. Like I aggressively was trying to be healed. I mean, I would see every counselor possible, like um, going to that alongside thing after being assaulted, like everything possible to get healing. But in a way I was like, here, God, here's my heart. Here's every room in my heart. But this exact like place in this exact room in my heart, like it's closed mm-hmm. off, and you do not have the keys to that place. And I will dictate how that room will be healed. Wow. I have the keys to this because if I give up control of this and and let God work in any way, it would probably destroy me.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, what you found in some ways is when you tried to strong arm your way through healing, or when you tried to take control of it yourself. It ended up just wounding you even more. Yeah, it ended up in in situations that became even more wounding, and so, yeah.
0: so she, so basically, Julie just told me like, "Hey, Christy, like, don't you think that the same thing that that wounded you, it would take probably the same thing to heal you, mm. and don't you think that God knows the type of man it's going to take." Uh, to help provide that healing. And I was like, well, well Julie, I don't need a man. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, like marriage isn't my redemption story. Yeah. Like I feel like as women, we tend to just think that like – once I'm married, I'll be happy. Yeah, right. Once I have kids, or once I fill in the blank, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. But like God says to be content in in, in every single circumstance. Right. And I had learned. I've, I had learned to say, okay, I will be content in all my circumstances. And honestly, I felt like God just had a life of suffering for me laid out. Mm. Like, and I was... I was reconciled to that fact and I was fine with it. So I'm sitting here telling Julie, like no way will I let a man heal me. Like that is not right at all. And like the Lord could heal me and poof. Like I could literally grab the cloak of Jesus and be healed. Mm. So then Julie started talking about a surgeon. She's like, Hey Christy, I know you're a PA and you've done surgery before. And so just think about is the surgeon, the actual person healing the patient? Mm. I said, well, kind of, they're doing the surgery and they said, no, don't you think that the Lord is guiding the surgeon's hands Mm. to repair the patient? And when she said it that way, it made sense to me like, wow, like the Lord is actually working through Davey, through the Holy Spirit in Davey to help heal me. And so um, my pride kind of just went away in a way, but honestly, it was probably the best thing that could have happened that again, how we were talking about, it took an emotion laden experience. Right to heal an emotional experience yeah. that, that had happened to me my whole entire life.
1: Right, right. Well, and what's really interesting is like, you know, we've uncovered several of those different experiences. Like there's several, there have been several monumental times in our short relationship where we've been like, that was really healing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was really healing to be able to, uh, to, you know, to experience that with each other. Yeah.
0: I mean, we could talk, I feel like for hours about, even more stuff that's happened to me. I mean, like just even to kind of like give a little list, like I was robbed in the middle of the night one Mm. night, like literally woken up to, to the robbers in my room, robbing my house. Like I had a fire at my apartment where the, the, um, Firefighters were knocking down my door, waking yeah. me up, and I had a six-month-old Natalia at the time. Like, and I lost most of Natalia's things. Like, I had an accident and had a neck injury where I was told like I would possibly never be able to work out, run, or play sports. I mean, I can just keep on going on about the the things that have happened in my life, like out of my control. That like, if one of these happened to somebody, it would literally put them in a tailspin. Right. Right. It was things over and over. So like, my M O in life was survive. Mm. You can do this, Christy, like white knuckle your way through this whole entire life, serve the Lord and just survive because he promised us, he says that our eternal reward is greater than our suffering. Mm. And I'm like, Lord, oh my word, I'm suffering like crazy. So like my reward is I'm going to have so many jewels on my crown, like, because I just keep on proving to be faithful. Mm. But I was honestly kind of in a way deteriorating. And I felt like I always had to put up this front that I was strong. Because like if yeah. I showed weakness, then anyone could overpower me. And I remember, Davey, you and me had a night where we were talking and I was pulling away from you again yeah. because I started feeling myself having a lot of feelings for you. Mm. And I knew if I had feelings for you, then maybe that like if you were to ever break up with me, that it would destroy me. Mm. And so literally, I, I remember you just saying to me, Christy, like, I feel like you tr- always try to show me strength, but like the times where you're vulnerable is the times that I see that you're the strongest. Mm. And I left that conversation. I remember talking to the Lord and saying like, Lord, like I need to let this go. Like, I just need to let you heal me. I need to take you by the hand and just let you guide me into whatever you have for me Mm. right now. Because at that point I honestly was, I resolved in my head that I can't be in this relationship and we need to be done. This is going to destroy me. And so I feel like the strongest thing I probably have ever done in my life was just let go and let God have total control over the healing of my life. Wow. Wow.
1: What are some um, ways, you know, we see some big themes in your life. We see the theme of abandonment. We see the theme of this uh, sense, loss of a sense of security. We see the theme of, you know, you mentioned at some point everybody walks away. Everybody leaves you know, all these major things that that created these deep impressions in your heart, Yeah. these deep impressions in your, you know, as we talked about, your neural pathways in your brain, what are some ways that you have seen those things specifically addressed in the last two years? How has God used, and it sounds awkward to say, how has God used me and our marriage and all of that to address some of those things?
0: Yeah. So... I remember again, some of this is on episode 61, but um, it was very um, impactful. So, experience proved to me that if you had too much baggage or um, too much of a past, that someone who was a Christian looking for the future wife, that's not something that they would look for. It wouldn't be on their checklist of uh, who they want to marry. And so, I knew if I would share the grossest things about my story and my past and the things that I actually did as well, that you wouldn't stay. Like you would mm. totally leave. And um, I resorted to the fact that, okay, God, like Davey, I don't want to break up with Davey because I know I don't want to like hurt him. Um, he's already been so hurt. So if I tell him these things, like this will give him his out and and he'll leave. So I end up telling him all these gross things about my past. And I remember that night. Like, David, you just, like, looked at me and you said, like, for some reason, like, I feel like I should think differently of you, Mm. but actually, like, I feel more endeared to you. Mm. And... I remember for the first time that I always told God, like, I want you to love and cherish me. I want you to show me it. And he He wrote in scripture everywhere how he loves and cherishes us, yeah. but I never felt it from him. And for some reason, like I didn't feel loved and cherished by Davey that night. I felt loved and cherished by the Lord. I felt hmm. his grace upon grace, just wash over everything and say, Christy, like when I tell you, I wipe away your sin as far as the east is from the west. Like I, I don't even remember it. Like when you show up at the gates of heaven and like, and I might go up there and I'm, I'm going to say to the Lord, like, I'm so ashamed of everything I've done. And I'm going to tell you everything. And he's going to look at me and be confused and say, hmm. what sin are you talking about? Hmm. Like it was, everything's forgiven and yeah. forgotten. Like he literally wow. forgets it. And so Davey, like that was huge for me. I remember hmm. also um, fearing, it, as weird as this sounds, and it sounds so weird even saying it out loud right now, but like fearing the day. I would walk down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a theme is I just didn't want to show any weakness to anyone. Yeah. Like I can be strong. I'm gonna overcompensate. I'm strong. Like, yeah. and so if people knew I didn't have a dad to walk me down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Then they would see, like, I was lacking of something. Hmm. Like, something was wrong with that picture. And they may feel pity for me, or I don't even know what they would have felt. They would have just known that there was something different, and I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to be different. I actually never wanted to walk down an aisle. I I would always tell Davey, like, can (laughs) you please be the one that walks down the aisle, or can we both be at the front at the same time? You did say that a few times. I'm like,
1: What? (laughs) Like, Like, no, or can
0: I have my mom or like, I don't know. I just, I did not want to walk down the aisle. And so what he said to me was this, like, Christy, I need you to trust me and I'm going to have something set up for you when you walk down the aisle. And for, again, for someone who's always taking control of her own life, trust is a huge thing. Mm And to say, like, Davey, like, I'm going to fully trust that you're going to do something that I was fearing for my whole entire mm-hmm. life and that you're going to make it great. There, were, Honestly, like, I was scared out of my mind. And so all I knew is that my stepdad, Lee, was going to start and uh, take me down the aisle. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a surprise. That's great. And we take a couple of steps. And all of a sudden, he stops. And we look and Phil Byers, which is your late wife's mm. dad. Yeah he comes down the aisle and he takes my arm and said, I'm going to walk you down the rest of the way. And then we stop again. And then your dad, uh, Dave, he comes and he grabs me by the arm and says, I'm going to walk you down as well. And I mean, I can't even explain to you right now, like, I didn't have one dad Mm. to walk me down the aisle, but I had three dads that walked me down the aisle and I was just bawling. And everyone in the room, like they didn't really know what was actually going on (laughs) and the reason why this was happening. But like the fear that I was going to have nobody to now having three people, Mm. like just showed me the depths of how God was like, I don't just bless you a little, like I bless you like threefold, fivefold, tenfold, you know, and just to see how he showed up.
1: Right. Wow. You know, one of the things too that we've talked about is that God's not just using, you know, me in our relationship, but also like the people around us, um, you know, the enemy wants to try to deteriorate your view of the heavenly father by giving father wounds to you and then wants to deteriorate your view of Jesus by, um, you know, uh, abandonment or husband type wounds. And, you know, for me, I just felt this like sense of that and you where I was like, you know, if there's nothing else that our relationship, uh, that comes out of our relationship, I just want somehow to represent, you know, a, a good husband to her and, and a good father to her. And it, I mean, it falls short nearly every day, but that's something that's become really empowering to me, you know, is to go like, I want to show you what, uh, what, what it could and should look like. Um, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit working through our relationship. I want these things to be healed in you.
0: Yeah. And not even just in me, but I think just drawing the line in the sand for like how it says in scripture for our future generations. Like I thought Natalia's life would just be uh, just her packing her bags and going back and forth from her dad's house to my house Mm. all the time and um, that she wouldn't have a redemption story of her own. And what was neat is just to see immediately your dad um, just came and just was a grandpa to her and loved her immediately and was like, this is my princess, like my grandchild. And just to feel, I remember stepping into our relationship saying like, I need a man that's going to love her as his own. And Mm. when I realized that Davey did, I remember thinking, I need his parents as well Mm. to be a grandparent to my child as well Mm. Um, and to love her as their own as well. And the moment your parents did that, I just was just... with the fact that God could be that good, even, and I love this verse where it says, like, even when we're faithless, he's faithful. Mm -hmm. And I did my own thing. Like, I don't, I felt like in a way, like, um, you know, one plus one equals two. Like if I am not good and I don't follow and I'm not obedient, then like, he's not going to give me a good life later on. But like, what's so crazy about his grace is he's like, no, like you don't have to be steadfast because I still have a future for you. And I still have a plan. And just to know that like, he's not done with me is crazy to me because I honestly felt like, what's my credibility? Yeah.
1: Hmm. You you may not want to talk about this at all, but one of the things that I think is really important for people to understand is what I've watched you do is over the past two years, enter into conversations uh, with negative emotions and become more, um, I guess, acquainted with them, familiar with them. You know, uh, I mean, our discussions are sometimes arguments, stuff like that. When, uh, you know, early on in our relationship, you and I both would put up a lot of walls. Yeah. And we're still working on this idea of, When we come into a a situation like that where there's some negative emotion that is involved, um, what we're realizing is that when you get vulnerable in those situations, you know, when I see you get vulnerable, it makes me, makes me melt. It makes me go like, wait a minute, like I, like I want to do everything I can to just like wrap you up in my arms. And if it was me that hurt you, you know, if it was somebody else that hurt you, I just want to take care of that for you. Like I want to be that for you. Yeah. And the same thing is true for me. When I when I uh, put away my woundings and I decide I, I'm just going to get vulnerable right now, I'm going to share what's really going on with me. You know, it it softens the conversation. All of a sudden we both kind of, you know, we we, we both, put our walls down and we begin to go, no, we can enter into this together. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you want to comment on that at all and, and what that journey has been like for you in, in entering to some of those negative emotional spaces.
0: Yeah, I would say, what's, what do they say about the definition of insanity is doing the, th- like the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results or a different, <laughs> a different result or yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, so I feel like if I constantly do the same exact thing over and over of my gut reaction due to how I was raised and my emotional tendencies, then honestly, like I'll get the same results, which is not the best results. And Mm. so I've had to learn to uh, rewire some of those things. Mm. And um, honestly, I was talking to, I was in a behavioral medicine rotation. I was talking to one of the psychiatrists and I just said, you know, a lot of these people that are coming in here, they have a lot of trauma, like, and you're working through this, but do they ever fully get healed? Mm. And he said, honestly, like, A lot of them don't, Mm. and you. But also, you're taking out the aspect of the Holy Spirit, the God factor there, like Jesus, the healer, like all that stuff. But the main thing he said was, we teach him techniques to how to override those emotions and those feelings, Mm. and slowly over time, those triggers lessen and lessen, and they also get easier to override, but you, but typically they still will have this kind of emotional reaction. I'm like, God, like that gives me no hope. But talking to you, like we were talking about like, but there's a different aspect when it comes to Jesus and Jesus can provide healing, but we do have to take him by the hand. And so for me, I told Jesus coming in this relationship that I just need to be vulnerable, even though it's against my MO, Mm -hmm. like, um, I need to show my weaknesses. And so I've honestly noticed that just because I've been more um, communicative with everything that I feel a lot healthier. Mm. Like even in the season, I feel like we're in the trenches of newborns <laughs> Newborn. and blending families. Mm. And um, I would say before I would just probably have done it on my own and not um, tell you any negative yeah. emotion, but there's a, there's a part that there might be postpartum depression with it. Mm. And we're just trying to figure all this out. And what's neat about it is we'll be probably having a podcast coming out soon mm-hmm. with a bunch of moms talking about motherhood and postpartum yeah. depression, um, and everything. But I feel like when you don't speak it out, yeah, it stays hidden in the dark and it takes right. power over you. Right. And for me, again, I refuse f- for that to happen. Right. If I'm going to help in this ministry, lead people towards healing and giving them advice. Like I have to take my own advice and I have Mm. to do it. And so it's not easy. Um, I would say, honestly, since we've been married, like Mm. it's gut wrenching. I feel like we're always walking through some kind of pain, trial, Mm -hmm. uh, transition, something. It's been a lot, Um, but it's been, it's been a blessing. It's been good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been healing. Well, and what happens if you slip into what you used to do where you would just shoulder it yourself is you rob yourself from true wholeness and healing. You know, it feels like you got it under control, but it's really just this like, this like, like latent. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's like this thing that's going on. That's kind of festering, boiling up, ready to just explode. But it also robs you from true connection and true intimacy. And the most, like connected that I have felt with you is when those times where we let down our walls. And I think that's the way God designed this to work. And I think that's the experiential healing that we're talking about is that we can enter into this space and be, be weak with each other. So here's one last question. I would love for you to speak to the fact that it's important to share your story.
0: I would say, first of all, there's like a right time and a right place for it. Mm -hmm. Um, In the very beginning, I don't feel like that was the right time. I remember when we first got engaged, um, it kind of went viral. Um, Mm. The blog post that you wrote, a lot of people were very interested in knowing, like, who is Davey going to marry? And I was sitting at a PA rotation with my preceptor, and I was charting on a patient. And all of a sudden, I receive a text from you that Megan Kelly was uh yeah, in the producer, today show yeah, yeah at the
1: time she was yeah yeah
0: her producer was interested in having us share a story on her show and my first reaction to that was just tears like yeah. I just started crying and my preceptor was like what's going on I'm like I'm supposed to go on the show like most people would think like oh national media you wanted to do that mm-hmm. but it wasn't the right time and place like mm-hmm. I I've never been one who wanted to be on a stage to be known to be in a limelight to be the center mm-hmm. of attention and so for me, stepping into this was a huge leap of faith, Mm -hmm. not even a step of faith, but like a leap of Lord, I'm going to do whatever you say, but please like guide me in this and be there for me. So for me to share this story, it was, it's been really hard. And honestly, we had to re-record a couple of the parts just because I didn't even know where to go with it. Um, what details to say about each thing? Cause each story in and of itself has so many layers. Um, so again, like but I do say when there is the right time and the right place, like if you're going to share it with someone, it has to be someone safe. Yeah. Um, and then eventually when you feel like that story doesn't have so much power over you mm-hmm. where you feel like now it can kind of be someone's like survival guide in a way, yeah. um, I would it's say good. it's very important to share. And the other day I was actually in um, a thing called BSF, which is Bible study fellowship. And we were reading in Hebrews and Uh, One of the verses says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back Mm -hmm. and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And I'm like, if I am following the Lord and I say, I'm going to do all the right next steps and I'm just going to follow his leading and his calling, like, why do I keep on shrinking back? Yeah. Why do I keep on saying like, not now, Lord, not now? Cause I mean, I've been asked to do some speaking things and I'm like, no, I don't want to like (laughs) keep on saying no. And this year I said, Lord, like I'll say yes. I'll say yes. And yeah. and so now here I am and I'm gonna be <laughs> speaking at a women's conference in May in California yeah. and I'm freaked out. I'm terrified. Like, Lord, I have a 50 minute time slot and like <laughs> I don't even like speaking for five minutes, but I'm just trusting that the Lord wants to use like the story that he has. And what's so neat is I love the story of Moses in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like Moses, I heard a saying, I think it was actually off this podcast, to tell you the truth. Maybe it was with Rebecca Lyons.
1: Probably. There's a lot of good things that come off this podcast, you know.
0: (laughs) But basically they were saying like, you have... Um, a birthright. Mm. What was it? A birthright. Yeah, that was Rebecca Lyons. Uh, yes, birthright it is. Gift. Yes, mm. you have a birthright gift and it's whether or not you decide to step into it. Mm. And honestly, I feel like we all have that birthright gift. Yep. And and we and Moses, in the same way, like from the very beginning, he was known that he was going to be the deliverer and right. the mouthpiece of the Israelites. Right. And it's like, he even said, I have a stutter and I'm not eloquent of right. speech. And I feel like the same way like, God, like I am not gifted in communication. Mm. I am not gifted in speaking. Like, why me? And he's like, that's exactly why. Because if hmm. you say you're available, I'll equip you. And no one will say, wow, look at Christy. She did all that. Wow. Like God will get the glory and his power will be shown. Wow. And so for me, like if I can show God's glory, if I can show like, hey, like, I've been through hell and back, and then hell and back, yeah. and hell and back, like over and over and over again, and God is still good, and I believe mm. and I trust in Him. I I, I trust in His promises. I want to scream that, honestly, yep. Yep. to so many people because like, if I can come out on the other side and tell you that my relationship with the Lord is so much stronger, it is so deep, then I feel like the trial that you're going through— you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. That you can see that there's hope. That you're not putting your hope in temporary things, but you're putting your hope in
1: Jesus. That's so good. So Moses, you're going to deliver a lot of people. Mm. You're gonna. There's going to be a lot of, especially women, that are just going to be broken from their strongholds. Um, and it's going to be a powerful thing. And I am glad to be your Aaron (laughs) any day. Well, that is my prayer. (laughs) And honestly, I tell people
0: this all the time when they DM me like, Hey, whenever I can find a free second, which is a few and far between right now in newborn season. But, um, I do FaceTime people and, and I do connect with people like that whenever they're going through something that they don't, uh, they just need a little bit of advice. And so I would encourage you the same way. Feel free to reach out. I would love Mm -hmm. to talk to you, hear your story and, and, and help in any way that I can.
1: Well, babe, unless you have anything else that you want to add oh, to man. all of this, that, that was, was incredible. Thank you so much. Definitely a
0: lot. Well, thank you for having
1: me. Make sure that you uh, give a shout out to, to Chris to thank her for sharing this. Um, christy.blackburn.niw on Instagram. And um, man, babe, this is, I just, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. And I'm ready to go cuddle with you on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you like the fact that we can do a podcast like this together?
0: All right, TMI. And
1: then we can just go cuddle on the couch. All right. (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much, babe, for for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, I... thoroughly enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And um, man, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I would love for her to be just a regular on this podcast. So let us know. I mean, go ahead and reach out. Nothing is Wasted Ministries. As you're listening to this on Instagram, tell me, tell us, tell her more specifically. She needs to be a regular on this uh, on this podcast. Uh, just a couple things before we sign off. We want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Incredible music. You can download it anywhere. Music can be downloaded or you can stream it if you're like me. You don't like to download things. Stream is music. It's awesome. And um, next week, we start a series on toxic relationships. It's really fitting that we just listened to Christy's story and all the different encounters that she had with toxic relationships. And that's going to be kind of a launch pad into this new series. We've done series in the past, and we're going to do another series right now where all of these episodes are going to deal with toxic relationships, how to recognize that you're in them, how to get out of them, how to advise people who are going through them. And so you're not going to want to miss this. We're kicking off the first episode with Deborah Felata. And so, uh, why don't you listen to this clip from my conversation with Deborah?
2: So breaking up with somebody that I had been dating for a year and a half, our parents were supposed to meet that day. Okay, mm. so so just just imagine <laughs> this, you know, oh, you're, man. you're talking about marriage. Your parents are supposed to meet. And the morning of, my parents are coming down from Pennsylvania, his parents are coming up from North Carolina, and our parents are supposed to meet for dinner. And it's like, you know, when your parents meet, that's kind of a big deal. big deal.
1: Yep. That's one more step. Here we go.
2: Here we go. Right. And and I just had this unrelenting doubt, you know, this lack of peace, this Mm. struggle that I had felt on and off for a while, but it just kind of came to a head. And so that day, and while my parents were about an hour away, I call and I broke up with them and I said, you know, I just feel like this, is, this isn't the right fit for my life.